to the lovely Mr. K. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, who was not here last week or has not heard last week's talk? Just pop your hand up for me. It's not a confession, don't worry. Just a few. I'm going to do a very, very quick recap. I reckon I can try and get this done uh, in two minutes. Um, the theme of these kind of couple of talks is the cost of discipleship. And last week we looked at uh, Jesus speaking as recorded in the book of Matthew. So Matthew wrote it down. He was one of the disciples. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever doesn't take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We talked about the gospel not being free. Jesus never said it was free. He said quite the opposite. He said it will cost us everything. The deal on the table from God in what's called the new covenant is all of me, says God, in return for all of you forever. That's the deal that's on the table. It may cost us friendships, ideologies, family, dignity, our current theology. He's either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. I've got about 30 seconds left. We finish with three people specifically responding for the first time to Jesus, come follow me. And many of us asking the Holy Spirit to show us what we need to give up to come closer. The Holy Spirit was working among us and there was a weight of his presence. I spoke to one person afterwards who was in tears because they felt unworthy and knew the cost. They were perhaps a little bit surprised when I said, that's really healthy. There was a weight for this lady of understanding and knowing this is going to cost me. Be like, yes, it is. Don't be in a rush to say yes. Say yes. Let the process come out. So on to today, imagine uh, essentially from last week, I said it was really like a, a long talk that we broke into two. So I'm going to like release Paul's uh, and we are going to continue So in the Sermon on the Mount, which was never called the Sermon on the Mount, but that's how we know it, um, Jesus was sat on a mount and spoke. Uh, And it got recorded mainly, if you ever want to find it, in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in that bit, you really want to be taking notes, by the way, if you you can and do. It'll be uh, a good thing. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount... Jesus, been, we've been looking at the cost that Jesus said, basically, this will cost you everything. And so Jesus then goes on to say, um, essentially, he goes on to say, these are the standards, if you like. This is, this is what we're aiming at. So he says, um, don't murder. Oh, okay, yeah, well, cool, we're murdering. I don't know that I've ever murdered anyone. Um, not that I'm aware of. Um, and then he says, well, you've heard it said, don't murder. Yep. But now, anyone who says, racha. To a brother is in danger of the fire of hell. Rucker is best translated something like smelly face. <laughs> that mild. That mild. Don't commit adultery. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. Of course, these would have been from the Ten Commandments all the way back when God first chose 
the uh, Jewish people to be his people and he gave them these Ten Commandments as, as boundaries, really. He said, don't commit adultery. But now I'm telling you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed an adultery, has committed adultery in his heart. Ooh. Jesus' solution for this? Gouge out your eye. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Jesus said, you've heard it said, and Moses, this was from Moses, you can have a certificate of divorce. If you're fed up with your wife, it was the man's prerogative. If he was fed up with his wife, he could just issue her a certificate of divorce and had to say the words, I divorce you, three times. And then she was done. That was it. She was out. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-huh, not anymore. See, if you do that, you're causing her to commit adultery. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And certainly as a teacher, the number of dispute school teacher in the past, the number of disputes I've sorted out that nearly always started with, well, he did. I, I, and I always used to say the same thing. I'm not interested in what he did. Yeah, but he did. You didn't hear me. I'm not interested in what he did. What did you do? Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. If someone comes and asks for your shirt, give him a coat as well. Oh, this standard is getting ridiculous. And the people listening must have been thinking, what is this guy on? Like, how is anyone honestly ever supposed to operate at that level? But Jesus says this. He says, each day we need to take up our cross and follow him. But here's the rub, right? Here's the problem. The kingdom of God has come, is near, and is yet to come. Forget the is near for now. Let's just take that one. I'll put it in brackets in the middle. It matters, but don't worry for now. So the kingdom of God has come, but the kingdom of God is yet to come. And both are true. I mean, let's face it. You look around you for a bit. And you look at the person next to you and think, well, good grief, if the kingdom of God has fully come in that person's life. Or you look at the world and say, well, if this is the kingdom of God fully having come, there's not a lot of hope, is there? Exactly. Fair point, well made. So it says, we have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I'm going to rattle through these. So we have been crucified with Christ. This has happened. We have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, etc. The life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, etc. We have been rescued from the kingdom of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's Colossians 1. These things have happened. We were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians 6. These things have all definitely happened. Those things are true. You can't say, I will be bought at a price. It's just simply not true. You have been bought at a price. It's happened. It's finished, it's done. Paul, super church planter Paul, as we often call him here, Apostle Paul, the sent one, we sympathise with Paul who bemoans the good he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the bad stuff he doesn't want to do, he spends his time doing. We're like, well, hang on a minute, I thought the kingdom had come. Yeah, it kind of has, 
and we have been crucified with Christ, and yet the Bible also talks about you have to consider yourself crucified. Both are true. Well, how can they both be true? They just are, because the kingdom has come, the kingdom is yet to fully come. So we are to clothe ourselves with compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience, and daily count ourselves dead to sin. Well, hang on, I thought I have been crucified with Christ. You have, and you need to count yourself dead to sin, because the kingdom has not yet fully come. Paul says this. Paul says this. Now Christ lives his life in you, and even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you're fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life, and since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he'll also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. So he's basically saying, look, You still carry around a dead part that is decaying and destined to go in the ground, our bodies. But inside of us has been, if you've said yes to Jesus and accepted him, then according to Ephesians um, chapter 1, uh, verse 18, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us. And our spirits are reborn. And the regeneration of us starts this time from the inside out. Okay, so it's our spirits that are reborn first, and then that permeates through our soul and into our bodies. It's not quite as clear-cut as that, but just take it as that. It's the easiest, you know, that thing. So it is that regeneration that happens. It is that being reborn. So in my spirit, I am reborn and infused by God. In my, what's often called the flesh or the sinful nature or the, the, the earthly part still has those earthly cravings that you can probably all identify with. So, we have the, I'm going to call it the flesh for now. The Bible often calls it the flesh. It doesn't literally mean the, the flesh, but let's call it the flesh for now. It means the, the, the body in which our spirits indwell, the bit that we leave behind when we go to be with him. So we have the flesh pulling one way and our reborn spirit pulling another way. Have you experienced this tug of war in your life? Okay, probably daily. You experience this tug of war. And then that's what calls Paul at the end of Romans 7. If you want some serious sympathy, go to Romans chapter 7, go to the end, and you'll see Paul saying, oh, what a wretched man I am. The good stuff I want to do, I don't do. The bad stuff I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Who will save me from this body of death, he says. Like, aha, Paul, we get it. We know there is a war on. So this, I said, things would get better from last week. So far, they're getting worse. Therefore, we need to try, 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 try to do the right thing. Straining, heaving, gasping for breath to do the right thing and live the right way. It's all about your willpower and your effort. Well, good luck with that. Um, History shows us that won't get you very far. I don't know about any of you who've really tried. It doesn't work. It doesn't mean don't try. 
but if you are honestly pitching your hope in your ability to try to reach God's standards, I'm telling you now, honestly, give it up. You are literally wasting your time. Even on your very best day, if, it, if the pillar is like the very top is God's standard, even on your very best day, you probably barely get out of the pile of the carpet. Because his standards are like off the charts because he is holy. He embodies love. He is faithfulness. God isn't faithful because it's a, an attribute he takes on. That's who he is. There are two reasons why this trying gig just doesn't really work. Here's one. In case you didn't know, you haven't got what it takes to live right. That might be a shocker for some of you, I don't know. But you haven't got what it takes to be able to live right. And this is the way I know. Not least looking in a mirror. But this is the way I know. If you could do the living right, then why did Jesus need to come? The Old Testament would have been considerably shorter. And Jesus never would have needed to come. One of the reasons that the Old Testament is as long as it is, and I don't particularly mean the number of books, but the period of time, one of the reasons it's as long as it is, is because God was giving people the maximum amount of time, I believe, to realize, I need saving. I really need saving. Do you need saving? I do. And no matter how much I try, I just don't seem to be able to be saved by trying. And what often then happens is, this is what follows. The enemy loves it. You try and you try and you try and you try. And then what do you do after that? Fail. And then how does failure leave you feeling? Crushed. Any other words? Shamed. Yeah. Guilty. Enemy's going, (laughs) this is wonderful. Because shame keeps us hidden away. That's why it was so good this morning. That's what shame does. So we try and we try and we try and then we just feel guilty that we've let him down again, that we're just naff. Or we defend and cover up our shame by saying, well, I've been doing my best. And God says, yeah, but your best isn't good enough. I've made this really clear to you. I'm not angry with you. I just keep telling you, your best will barely get you out the pile of the carpet. So don't... Let us not defend ourselves by saying, well, I've done my best. Here's the other reason that trying, trying, trying doesn't work. Number one is we haven't got what it takes. That's why we need Jesus, right? Number two, the reason the trying, trying, trying thing doesn't work is because this. By living with a clench-fisted doggedness, it leaves the self-will intact. It is living the illusion that I can be in control. It is a life that is lived instead of out of the kingdom of heaven. It's a life lived out of the kingdom of self. 
It's all about me and my trying. It's all about me. Do you see that? It stops being about him and it becomes all about you and your trying and your defensiveness over your trying by the fact you're doing your best and your exhaustion over your trying and the resentment at even having to try so hard when you get so tired and then you know you're only going to screw up anyway. And you could say no to something that you f- ugh, you're f- ugh, feeling pulled in. You can say no to it 99 times. And then it's the hundredth that you cave in. And then next time you think, well, I might as well just cave in now. Pointless. I'm going to cave in in the end anyway. And the enemy is just enjoying every moment. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second that obedience to what God is asking doesn't matter. The Bible is littered with obedience. Of course we need to be obedient. Even nature is obedient to God. When Jesus was in the boat, He said, peace, be still to the storm. Nature comes in line. I just want to read this to you. This is from a book by a guy called David Benner. Uh, Very grateful to Tim Dyer for passing this book on to me. The book's called Surrender to Love. It says this. It is clear, however, that God doesn't want mere behavioral compliance. He wants obedience in both conduct and heart. He wants us to do the right thing, but for the right reason. This is the phrase the author of Romans uses in describing the goal of Christian spirituality as to be, in quotes, obedient from the heart. In fact, obedience that doesn't flow from the heart counts a very little in the eyes of God. It's what's inside that counts. Motivation counts because God wants our love and friendship, not just the right behavior. If he simply wanted compliance, he could have created a race of automatons that didn't have free will. But desiring communion with beings that are enough like him to make intimacy possible, he created humans. And he patiently woos us as we learn not just to do what he desires, but to surrender to his love. So this is the point, and I'm going to show you a picture in a minute, which I'm really hoping covers this. I'm hoping in one moment you will see this picture and all will become clear. Is God after our obedience? Absolutely. Can you do it in your own strength? Absolutely not. But above our obedience, what God is after is for us to give up. Give it up. Stop trying in our own strength. You're just going to fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. He's never asked us to do it in our strength. The kingdom of self has got to die. The kingdom of self, has it's got to go. Listen to this. This is from, I think it's from the same book. The abundant life promised us in Christ. We know about that, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have promised you you'll have life and life in abundance, said Jesus. The abundant life promised in Christ comes not from grasping, but from releasing. It comes not from striving, but relinquishing. 
It comes not so much from taking as from giving. Surrender is the foundational dynamic of Christian freedom. What? If you take nothing else from this, surrender is the foundational dynamic of freedom. You want freedom, you're going to have to give it up. You're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to let the kingdom of self die. Surrender of my efforts to live my life outside of the grasp of God's love and surrender to God's will and gracious spirit. Surrender is being willing rather than willful. If you're sat next to a friend, just ask them, am I more willing or willful? Just ask them now. Take a moment to ask them. Am I more willing or willful? What do you see in me? Willingness or willfulness? Thankfully, I'm up here. I don't have to ask Nick, which is really good news. So here's the thing. Surrender is being willing rather than willful. It is a readiness to trust that is entirely based in love. Can I have the slide up any moment now, please? It is relaxing and letting go. It is floating in the river. That is God's love. Hopefully. Okay. Um, Online people, please just keep looking at that. And the team upstairs, just keep that on the screen. Don't worry about cutting back to me for a minute. It's relaxing and letting go. It is floating in the river that is God's love. Now, that is what's called a lazy river. I took this photo. I was, I was actually there. This was in Spain. We were on holiday in south of France and we popped over the border to a water park. They have them in hot countries. Um, <laughs> and they're a joy. And they are slightly odd because you just walk around in trunks all day. It's quite weird, but you soon get over it. Now, so this is a lazy river. And what you will see is a river. It's slow moving, this one was. It was a super lazy river. But, um, and you... You follow this along. And we've talked a little bit about this before. And this will go through various phases. Very open bits. This bit's fairly open. And then you go under like a canopy of trees for a bit. And then it takes you under a waterfall, which you kind of do that as it like gets you in the face. Um, sometimes you collide with other people. Sometimes you just drift along on your own. Do you know what one of the hardest things to do is in that river? Control where you're going. It's really hard but we all try, we all try, we all try and hold on to the side while this thing is drifting and you're like, because you're trying to catch up with your friends and you've seen this and, and then other people come along and they start to bump you along and please just keep it on the screen a minute, don't, um, don't take it off. There is a river that flows from the throne of God himself and water in the Bible nearly always indicates Holy Spirit. And so there is a river of God that our responsibility is simply to stay in the ring. Is simply to stay in the ring. All I've got to do is stay in the ring. So actually, when you first get in there, you're saying yes to Jesus equivalent. Looks like you stand there 
one of the lifeguardy people like gets one of the rings and you actually just have to flop back into it because you can try going forward. It just doesn't work. There is a yielding, there's a surrender that, that means you just have to flop back into the thing and hope that you manage to line your bum up with the hole, basically. If you don't, you just go under and, yeah, it's all messy. But from that moment onwards, you have a couple of handles and your job is to stay in the ring. You can't make yourself go faster. You can't make yourself go slower unless you try and hold on to the side. You go where the river wills and you go at whatever pace the river is taking you and you have different people along the way that you meet because (laughs) no matter how much you all try and stick together, it doesn't work. You end up slightly separated and your job is to stay in the ring. I'm going to read this to you. Please just continue to leave that on the screen for a minute, even online. That would be fab, thanks. This is from a book called Firebrand by a guy called Dominic Muir, who is the chap who started David's Tent. He's probably how he's best known. Any breaking which breaks our reliance on self and reduces us to the walk of grace, which brings an end to our perpetual doing, engineering, striving, earning, achieving things for God in our own strength is not only a good thing when that gets broken, it's essential if we are to have any lasting peace and reward in eternity. We are not called to do things for God. Are you hearing me? You really need to hear this. This might undo your life. It might flip it upside down. We're not asked to do things for God. We are called to a life of intimacy, relationship, and get these two words, ecstatic yieldedness. That's what we're called to. That's what Father asks of us. A life of intimacy, relationship, ecstatic yieldedness and a light yoke where Christ lives his powerful life through us. As Steve McVeigh writes, please get this. Not only does Christ call us to the Christian life, but he will also live it for us. Do you get that? Not only does he invite us and ask us into that relationship, he says, I'm now going to live my life through you. Stop your striving. Stop trying. You're not good enough. That's why you need me in the first place. And now you completely are. You have been clothed in my righteousness. My power, the same power that conquered the grave, lives in you now. Not only does Christ call us to the Christian life, he'll also live it for us. Resting in Christ is the sole responsibility of the Christian. Everything else flows out of that. Resting in Christ is the sole responsibility of the Christian. Everything else flows out of that.
it's interesting that when you consider this, it doesn't mean that that river doesn't take you to some pretty tricky places. That one doesn't. There are some others there that did. Where you hold your breath as you turn a corner and are plummeting. Guess what my job is? Stay in the ring. Just stay in the ring. I didn't always manage it. Um, um, let me just read you this bit. I wasn't going to, but I'm just, if I can just quickly find it in time. If, you're, if you've got a Bible, oh, thanks God. Just found it really quickly. Um, 2 Corinthians 12. And this is Paul speaking. And Paul was having some difficulty in his life and he asked God about it and said, can you take it away? And God said this, look, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You're like, well, that's, that seems like a bit of bad news, doesn't it? And this is that what then Paul then says. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. What are you like at delighting in weakness? Good? Real strength. Would it be on your CV? Here's so-and-so. He loves being weak. He delights in feeling weak. Because he knows when I am weak, then he is strong. And that this, what Paul is speaking about, is this ecstatic yieldedness. It's the staying in the ring. Paul's saying, that's all I have to do. It doesn't mean I won't have difficulty, but my job is just to stay in the ring. That's all I've got to do. We're not asked to get in there and swim round. Stop swimming, some of you. You're not going to manage it. It's going to go wrong. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to swim into feeling ashamed because you're not meant to be able to live this life apart from him. Ecstatic yieldedness. That's what we're being invited into. So when you say, well, I'm having a problem with an addiction, I'm having a problem with my neighbour, I'm having a problem in my workplace... I don't seem to be able to live to the, to the way I want to. This is at least the way I've done it. This is the habit I've got into, uh, I'm trying to get into. Uh, oh, one sec. Page what? Ah, that's fine. My bad. Resting in Christ is the sole responsibility. That's it. I've got a naff neighbour. I've got a tricky work situation. I've got a, an addiction that I keep just going to and can't keep away from or feel like I can't keep away from. And I've been trying and straining and, oh, you have no idea how hard this is. And oh, I probably have. And Jesus says, just stay in the ring. My yoke is easy. Give it up. Let me do it through you. You haven't got to do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. And so you slow down. And I sometimes 
this is what I do. I, I literally picture myself. I just need to stay in the ring. I just need to sit here. God will do it. God will do it. And as I've looked back at my life, and as I live my life, I realize that much of the time, I keep trying to fix problems where God is saying, just stay in the ring, Chris. I've got it. I've got this. Why are you straining and striving to do this, to do this, to do this, to do that? Just stay in the ring, listen for my voice, and just do whatever I say. Have I told you to do X? Well, God, yeah, but is, no, but have I told you? Well, uh, 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 well, it's a good thing, right? I mean, I should be doing that. Oh, the shoulds, the world of shoulds, says God. The world of shoulds. The crusher of all things grace. He says, just stay in the ring. Enjoy the bits where you bob around and hang on tight when you're going down a slope and can't see where you're going. So let's stand. We're going to pray. It's better news than last week. This could be a lot of you, but we have got quite a bit of space. What I see is people leaving their seats as being symbolic of leaving a life of striving, of trying, of trying, of trying. It doesn't mean never try, but only try in response to resting in him and doing the thing he asks. So coming away from the seats is like leaving a life of effort, striving, engineering. And what I would love people to do is if you want to come and sit in the ring. (laughs) I haven't got one. Don't worry, I'm not about to like. (laughs) That would have been fun, right? Should have bought you all a ring. Um, and like, I can't even like put one down here and like drag you along for a bit, get out, next one, you know. It's like, I haven't got one. But symbolically, it would be great if you feel like, oh, Chris, yeah, I actually get this. I have tried my whole life. When people say, oh, I try to live a Christian life, you're like, why? You're going to screw it up. And then just defend yourself by saying, well, I did my best. Pile of carpet, that's all I can ever think about doing my best. So if that's you and you're like, I want to stop the striving. I just want to come and live in the, I want to plonk myself in the ring. Then just come out the front now and make, come right forward because it's going to be, I would have thought most of you, unless like some of you are already massively living in the ring. Just come, come out, come forward. And what I want us to do in this moment 
is, yeah, just keep coming. Don't, even if you don't feel like you can fit in, God's seen that you've come out of your chair. Actually being at the front's irrelevant. Just it's the fact you've got up. You say, I want to leave this striving place behind. I'm never going to see the fullness of what God has for me while I stay in this place. So what I encourage you to do as you're out the front here is, this is going to sound weird, and it's up to you whether you actually say it or not, but I would say, God, give me, a, give me the ring. I just want to plonk back into it. And like, you do that now in your own words. Just say to God, I'm done with striving. I'm done with trying to be good enough and all the effort. And, and God, every time I think I might be good enough, you just seem to raise the standards. I'm done with that life. And instead, God, I see the lazy river where there is a flow of your spirit. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, as we plonk ourselves in the rings and bob about for a bit as it settles down, that you will lead us into all the things where you want to be leading us. We are so sorry for where we have tried and we just jump out And we cling on to the side and we jump up out onto the side because the river's taking us somewhere we don't want to go. But we give it up. And instead, we sit tight in the lazy river that brings life, that speaks of your glory and your goodness, and the river flows from heaven itself from the throne of God. God, some people here, I can see there's, there's like a, there's a heavy yoke. You just carry this heavy yoke of having to be a certain thing, of having to prove, having to live a certain way, having to be a certain standard. Stop holding on to it. Just let him take it off you. Just let him lift it up, take it off you. He said, you're living under a yoke that I never intended for you to live under. It's been crushing you. No wonder you're so exhausted. No wonder you're so anxious. And God, we embrace the lazy river. As we follow you, Jesus, we just need to sit in the ring, stay in the ring and keep following you. Thank you, God. Let's just stay in this moment. There's, some, there's transactions happening. I see some yokes that Jesus has taken off people and they're heavy. They're like mahogany, like serious wood. And Jesus is just breaking them over his knee like they're a twig. Beautiful. If you need him to, say to him, Jesus, take that yoke off me. Snap it over you. I don't ever want it back. I'm done with it.
Some of you have lived under a guilt and a shame of not being good enough for years. You feel like you're just not good enough. We break that too. It's not of him. He's already declared that you are more than enough. You are chosen. You are enjoyed. God delights in you. He sings over you. And he's appointed this river for us to flow in. And then he looks and some of us are scrabbling, trying to get out. And he says, why are you trying to get out? Please don't get out. Just stay in the ring. Thank you for listening to Numa Sunday's podcast. For more information, go to numachurch.uk where you can find more ways to connect with us. Have a great week and remember you're loved.